0: Welcome to the China FlexPad Podcast.
1: My name's Barbara. I'm the founder of Whitespace, a new startup here in Shanghai. Um, As you can hear from my accent, I'm originally American, but I've been living in China since 2005. And uh, before that, I had spent 12 years in the UK where I met my Australian husband. So um, I'm a citizen of the world uh, with an American passport for whom China is her home.
0: Thank you so much, Barbara, and welcome to China FlexFed podcast. It's a great pleasure to have you here today with me. And I know that you have been living in China for quite a long time. How long have you been living here and what brought you here initially so
1: i moved here in january 2005 um when my uh husband um was uh, he was offered a um, a two-year contract here in china in 2004 when we were engaged and i said okay then let's move to china and so uh, he came to China, started working, flew back to London where we got married, and then we both came to China together to start our, our married life here. So 2005, two-year contract. Uh, here it is, 2000, almost the end of 2021 as we're recording, and so 17 years later, I'm still here, uh, still loving it, uh, still married, uh, and loving that as well, and uh, yeah just following the path that
0: that, uh, got started in 2004. Seems that it's like a great love story, right? Both for China and for your partner, right? Uh, Absolutely, yes. (laughs) I know that you have worked for some big companies like, like IBM Lenovo in the past um, I'm curious what motivated you to move from the corporate world um, and found your own startup
1: well actually I uh, I have worked in the corporate world but I've I've say I've worked all the way up and down the scale as you point out uh, IBM Lenovo two of the biggest companies in the world um, but I've also worked in niche smaller niche companies. When I moved here, I was with a uh, niche consulting company that had about 200 people around the world. Um, And I've also been a solopreneur. So uh, I've been part of all different size companies. And I think the one thread that's had me move up and down is that I've always been looking for wherever I was as a platform to cause transformation. So when I was at IBM, I was part of the dot-com boom, and I was teaching the leading companies in Europe what this meant for B2B businesses in 99, 2000, 2001. When I worked for Lenovo, I was leading a team. I was the executive director of a team called Business Transformation. And, uh, And now Whitespace, I think, is transforming the... Uh, sharing economy and transforming the whole conversation about work from anywhere, starting here in
0: China. And speaking of white space and that idea of purpose that you have for change and transformation, how does, you know, your purpose relate to uh, white space?
1: Well, that's something I've been discovering uh, as I've moved along this path. So I founded white space four years ago. And what we offer is what I now call collaboration space. So it's meeting space, seminar space, training space, uh, workshop space, rooms for groups of people to get together and collaborate face-to-face. And we do offer online, offline, blended meetings as well. But the idea, my core belief, is that things happen better when people can meet together face-to-face. And often the limitation on people's creativity or learning is that they don't have a physical space to do that. Especially here in Shanghai, uh, real estate is really expensive, very hard to find in the city center. And so we wanted to provide a space for people to unleash their creativity and uh, unleash what's possible for them. And uh, I think that's very much aligned with my possibility, what I want my life to be about, which is... um, unleashing other people's potential.
0: Speaking of this flexibility and this creativity that white space somehow provides, um, and, you know, we have this concept of being a flexpad, which is a flexible expad, so someone that it's not exactly uh, completely on the corporate side, but someone that has some ideas, some creativity, some flexibility to move, you know, to bounce uh, between both worlds. Um, so how do you think this kind of space, white space, can um, help these kind of people, these kind of flexible expats?
1: Well, I think it's um, another one of my core beliefs is that it's not either or, that the best answers are both and. And so, uh, flexpats uh, might have day jobs, might be part of the corporate scene, or might be doing a portfolio career, might be have a whole bunch of different... Uh, jobs that they're doing at the same time to create a life as well as a living. And I think white space's flexibility really feeds into that because the spaces that we offer are all sizes from a four-person meeting room to a 200-person training space, um, and that you rent it by the time that you need it. So from the half day to more than a month. Uh, we have customers who've rent for all those periods. Um, and the idea that you you get what you need when you need it, and you pay only for that, and you don't need to make a commitment to a long-term contract, an annual membership, uh, you know, a monthly usage of so many credits per month. We're here for what you need while you need it, and then we provide it, and then there's no ondo- ongoing commitment. And that flexibility is very... Much the sort of flexpat mindset.
0: You have spoken about flexibility and being somehow a space open for creativity. Somehow, uh, somehow a simplicity um, in terms of uh, being open to different ideas, different um, types of projects. Um, I'm curious, uh, why this name? Why white space? Is that somehow related to this flexibility?
1: Absolutely. When I was looking for a brand name to represent um, the core value of what we're providing, uh, I chose white space because in English, we talk about, um, oh, you know, it's all white space, it's all possibility. And the idea that our spaces are like a blank canvas for you to create whatever you want to create inside them. And so that's how I chose the name white space and the Chinese brand Liu Bai kong jian, was given to me by a friend where I was looking for something that communicated the meaning of what I was saying, not just translating the words. And she said, oh, the words Liu bai, it's from Chinese paintings. And if you think about the Chinese um, scroll paintings with the with the beautiful brushstrokes and the idea that the painting is, is much defined by the, the white space that's left by the brush or even between the hairs of the brush, that leave the white, leave the white. That's the idea that um, I wanted to convey as well. So I'm very proud of our name in both languages.
0: Yes, it's such a beautiful name. And I am a translator, so I, I always pay a lot of attention to these kind of details. And I think it's a, a very good translation. I can- what exactly led you to start White Space? Where were the main um, ideas that you have in the very beginning?
1: It started from my own need, which is either a really good or a really bad reason to, to do a startup. It's a good reason in that you know at least one person has a has a pain point, and and maybe other people share it. Um, and sometimes it's a bad reason because sometimes it does. You might be part of a very small group of people and you're, you don't represent the majority. So um, it's always a challenge to a founder to say, well, you know, am I my target customer? And it, sometimes you're not, or if you are, maybe that's a limited market. But I started looking for uh, meeting space in, you know, around 2012, I was with this boutique consulting company. I was working remote. Um, way before anybody was talking about it. I was working from my home office because I was frequently traveling to client sites uh, and I was attached to the Singapore office of of the consulting company. So uh, they didn't have a China office. I worked from home. Uh, Occasionally I flew down to Singapore or I spent time with my clients. And I didn't really need much in the terms of working space like every FlexPad, as long as I have my laptop and Wi-Fi and occasionally a place to plug it in, I can be working. But what I did need was meeting space. When I needed a professional, private, quiet place to meet with my clients, I couldn't find anything suitable. The hotels were way too expensive. The um, co-working spaces that were starting to spring up were really, um, of course, prioritizing their meeting space for their members, and also had that younger vibe that weren't necessarily compatible with me meeting from, you know, oil executives from Exxon or or Chem. Um, and uh, I just needed quiet, professional meeting space, and there was nowhere. It was so hard to find it in Shanghai. When I did find it, it was incredibly expensive. The service was just so-so and I ended up feeling ripped off. And so I thought there has to be a better way.
0: I'm curious about, so you referred that white space is a co-working collaboration space. Uh, So how has this industry have been developing uh, since you have opened the white space?
1: We're not co-working because um, we don't actually offer any, any office space. And that's really important to our model because we're able to Uh, cooperate with real estate owners in office buildings, because we're not competing with them. They build these office buildings, they want to fill them up with office workers. And then we come in and we say, we're not competing with you for the same tenant class, we're actually adding value to the building. So I call us collaboration space, you know, meeting, training, workshop space. Now that's building on top of that people have heard of co-working and, and the co-working boom that happened here in, in China between say 2015 to the height of the boom, 2019 um, has really created a mindset shift, particularly for uh, the Flexpat community in terms of why do you sign a fixed lease when you only want to use space sometimes? And that uh, started with people who are leading edge like PlexPats and has spread into the corporate world. And I think that really opened up the door for there's a different way to think about your relationship to space, that instead of it being a fixed thing that you're always tied to, it can be something also that you use on demand. So we started White Space in 2018, building on that idea, taking a different slice, as I said, not offices, but uh, space for seminars and workshops and team buildings for people to come together, building on that idea, but also insisting we are a different offering. We are not co-working. We are collaboration space, on-demand collaboration space. Uh, And so we benefit from from the, the rise of this concept of the sharing economy. And sometimes we have to push a little bit against this, that it, we're not all the same. We're not all the same. I'd say um, a hotel room and an apartment both have places where you sleep, but they're not the same. I'm
0: curious also, now that you spoke about your competitors somehow, how is this industry at the moment in China and what kind of you know, uh, competitors somehow you have?
1: Well, we're still the leader in the industry. We're the ones who are inventing the model and developing it now throughout Shanghai. Uh, We have nine locations in Shanghai and we're looking for investments so that we can go out to Beijing and Shenzhen next year. So at the moment, we're, I won't say the only ones in in the industry, but we are for sure. The market leader. In terms of competitors, I wouldn't say we have any direct competitors. We have substitutes. So if you don't know that white space exists, you could go to a hotel to find a meeting room, or you can go to a co-working space or a serviced office, but they're really offering it in a different way. So at the moment, we're creating a new product as well as a new company and leading in that Uh, which is of course a huge advantage in terms of the market and also quite difficult because we're promoting a new idea as well as uh, our actual company, our actual product. Mm
0: -hmm. And how are people reacting to these new concepts in a city like Shanghai?
1: In the beginning, um, there was a lot of doubt uh, because probably uh, people didn't see the clear distinction Uh, between us and those substitutes, the service offices and co-working spaces or hotel spaces. And so, you know, and we, I, I'll speak for myself. I wasn't as confident as I am now. When you start with a prototype, you don't know, you're testing the market as you go. Um, But now, almost four years on, and I, and I say four years, but one of them was COVID. So that doesn't count. Um, So, three years of strong operations. Uh, Every time I now talk about this model, what white space offers, why we're the future, people go, oh, that's a great idea. Why hasn't anyone done that before? So I think um, I've uh, luckily caught the gift of good timing and created white space at a time when the market is really open and receptive.
0: And in terms of a vision for the future, how do you see white space evolving in the the future years? In the
1: future, um, I want to be an Asia-wide platform. Um, When you think about meeting, uh, you think of white space in the same way that if you think about coffee, the first brand that springs to mind is Starbucks. Starbucks. (laughs) Yes. So I say I'm going to own meeting space the way that Starbucks owns the category of coffee. I want to be the clear choice, um, the ones that all the other ones are competing against. Um, And I believe that that's possible, especially starting out of China at this point. And that um, we've got a three year head start. Uh, As I said, thousands of happy customers, Uh, 10,000 people a week moving through white space locations uh, at nine locations in Shanghai and continuing to grow. We might be 10 next month. I see that in five years, we'll have hundreds of locations across all of Asia.
0: And in terms of COVID, how do you think COVID actually affected this industry positively, negatively, in which ways?
1: Well, both. (laughs) I mean, in the in the um, the very first wave of COVID in uh, 2019, um, of course, it was a great blow to us. We had uh, just uh, finished expanding into our fifth location in Shanghai, uh, which we had just soft opened in December uh, of 2018 uh, 2019, knowing that 2020. After Chinese New Year would be when we get our peak demand season. So we had opened excess capacity. This January twenty twenty was our very first month of operation that we weren't cash flow positive. But we were like, that's okay. Peak time is coming. And then COVID hit, and so we had a very intense six months of um, doing everything we could to steer the company through that really challenging, difficult time. And keep everything going. But having come through that and and the demand was so strong that actually from a sales standpoint, we were 100% back on track by July of last year. So it really impacted us strongly in the first half of the year. And then we rebounded in the second half. And then this year have continued to grow. And I think it's ultimately helped us because it's catalyzed that conversation about Where do we work? What kinds of work do we do there? And why? Um, And now we're in the very center of the conversation about the nature of work, the future of the office, and um, what does the future of work look like?
0: And speaking of that, what is your vision about what the office should look like in the future? Or do you think that people still need these physical places to meet?
1: Well, I think that... um, It's difficult to make those kind of long-term predictions, but I do believe that human beings have an innate desire to be together physically. Um, And I've been through about two revolutions of this. Um, As I said, I was part of the dot-com boom in 99, 2000, IBM was work from anywhere. Um, And yet most of us came into the office because we miss the camaraderie because there was that exchange back and forth across the cubicles because um, working from home just isn't the same. Um, in the same way, I, I, I said to someone the other day, well, would you rather uh, kiss your children and tuck them in goodnight in person or is saying goodnight from a Zoom call on a screen just the same? Now, everybody knows, of course, they're not the same. Of course, for the most important things in your life, you want to be there in person. Well, if your work and your what you're creating for your career is also important, obviously not necessarily as important as your family, but also important and core to your expression and your possibility, why would you want to shortchange it by doing it? from the end of the end of a screen. Why not be together with people?
0: It's part of the human nature to have this social connection, I believe. Um, it's, as a foreigner entrepreneur, how crucial was it to have a local Chinese business partner um, in, in your business?
1: I would say it's been crucial um, that uh, my co-founder, Leo Epeng, is... Um, He's, he's quiet, introverted, uh, never appears on podcasts, um, but he is every bit as core to white space as I am. And uh, I think in part because the two of us have very different personalities, so we complement each other, we see the world differently. And through the sort of dynamic tension of that, we uh, brings out a third way of seeing things. But also, uh, we did start Whitespace here in China, and we serve the Chinese market. Uh, As much as I am a member of the foreign Flexpat community and and want to support them, that's a very small, tiny percentage of the Shanghai economy. So 99.5% of our customers are local Chinese. And um, in order to serve that market, you have to have The voice of the market be part of the leadership team, and so without him, you know, there would not be a white space today.
0: Mm -hmm. And what kind of challenges did you find um, in this, you know, partnership? Because at the end of the day, a business partner—it's just like a romantic partner, right? Because you need to 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 share some some perspectives um, in the long run.
1: Absolutely. It is a relationship. And like every relationship, it has its ups and downs and it has its tensions and you need to work on it. The one core thing is that um, we've had some times when uh, we saw things very differently, when there was tension between us, when things were going badly, and maybe there was a little bit of a suspicion about, well, is the other person really really doing their bit to pull us out. But the core thing is that I 100% trust him. I 100% trust him to do the right thing for me and for the business. And he feels the same way about me, that there's, um, when we disagree, we know that we're disagreeing because we see it differently, but we both fundamentally want the same thing, which is that the business will survive, thrive, and give each of us what we're looking for out of it. And I think that trust is the bedrock of every relationship.
0: Trust is really the the key word of business uh, relationship, right? Do you believe that China is a good place for entrepreneurship? I believe
1: it's a fantastic place for entrepreneurship because because it's an economy that's um, incredibly modern and leading the way in so many aspects. In the old days when I used to travel back to the US or Europe and they were still, you know, using this funny folding stuff, the money, um, I was just amazed at how behind they were from some of the technology aspects. So China's leading the world in in many ways, but in other ways uh, still uh, has aspects that need to develop. Um, I think one of my advantages being American is just having grown up inside the idea of what is good customer service and what it means to have a a service mentality. And that's developing incredibly here in China, but it's still a relatively recent thing. It's developed in the last than 20 years that I've been here. So that opportunity of incredible modernness and, and, and taste for change and innovation that the Chinese have, the willingness to take on new things, and the amount of scale and opportunity that China offers, I think it's the best place in the world to do entrepreneurship.
0: And speaking of um, these costume service that you referred, how do you think is the costume service different, you know, here in China from, for example, you know, the West?
1: that's hard for me to answer because I actually haven't lived in the US for more than half of my life at this point. But I would say that um, the in some ways the demands are higher because Chinese the Chinese public expect always on. they expect 27, 24/7 and you know quick responses all the time. So it is more demanding. From that standpoint. At the same time, a lot of Chinese businesses uh, really deliver, you know, at important touch touch points. They deliver just like okay customer service. Um, there's not a consciousness of uh, the small touches that really make you feel welcomed, like someone behind the reception desk. Uh, standing up to greet you when you come in instead of just raising their eyes from the, from the phone and then pointing to direct you where you need to go. Um, and I think there's a lot of opportunity for those kind of Western ideas or, or standards to be welcomed here, to really make people feel honored guests. As I said, um, I've seen China develop tremendously in the, in the period that I've been here. And certainly 2005 um, was really... I mean, China was already modern China, but it was still developing in terms of delivering a product. The product being whatever physical thing you were buying. Um, And so I can remember going into a very early coffee shop in Dalian, which is where I was living. Uh, They didn't have Starbucks yet. So there was a local coffee shop where you could buy, you know, uh, real brewed coffee. And they brought me my cup. And then one of those tiny little teeny um, you know, covered, uh, plastic containers of cream. And it was, it was tiny. It was like half a teaspoon. Uh, and I wanted some more. And so I asked the waitress, could I have another one? And she said, no, no, there's only one per cup.
0: (laughs) That's really funny.
1: (laughs) I was almost on the edge of ordering another coffee just so I could have some more cream.
0: Barbara, just to close our conversation today, what advice would you give to a foreigner that really wants to open his own business in China?
1: Well, I would say the advice is, um, one, do your best to localize the business, hire Chinese staff, have Chinese partners, have Chinese customers. Um, really uh, don't just focus on um, the, the foreigner circle, the flex pat circle. Um, if you want to really take advantage of the China market, then be in the China market. Um, and the other is the advice that I give to every entrepreneur, which is start, start somewhere, start with an ugly product, start with like, you know, something that you'd be kind of ashamed to show your friends because it's so crude and rudimentary but start and see how people react to it and then make it prettier
0: awesome barbara that was fantastic thank you so so much for your great tips your great advice it was a lovely conversation thank you so much for um for all this conversation and it was a pleasure to have you here today thank you thank
1: you it was a pleasure to talk to you so thanks for inviting me